traveled over 140 countries around the world. As I was, the, I'll paraphrase the phrase in my own neighborhood. The rest of the countries, the world's not a patch on our genes. If we do what we want to do, we need to do. about uh, the smugglers really putting a plan in place that we deal with the smugglers right and we have to be very careful here Peter on how we talk about this because if we talk about it in a way that is misinformation then it helps the smugglers and so these are the issues that the president has taken incredibly seriously and again I will say this I just said it moments ago he's willing to work with Republicans he's willing to work with Democrats he's willing to work with independents to work on this issue to move forward with his comprehensive plan that he put forward on day one of his administration. I'm for president of the United States. But then we have Hillary Clinton, another New Yorker. She has been an inspiration to me from the very beginning. Congratulations, Senator. Congratulations. And again. And three, two, one. Hi, family. Do you remember we talked on a FaceTime? You remember that? Good. Hi. Congratulations. Congratulations. Former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. I am pleased to welcome him to CNN. He's appearing tonight for the first time in his new role, which is senior political commentator and congressman. We really are thrilled to have you on board. So, and welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. The fifth of January, year of our Lord, 2023. Great little intro with the Commander-in-Chief. They really care about the smugglers, my asshole, Hokel, Igor, and did anyone think we wouldn't have Adam Kingser on CNN? You knew he would, because that's who he is. So before we get into the fun stuff, not going to have any slides today. I'm doing a quick little short podcast. I don't want to inundate you with too much stuff, but there's some good stuff coming in. I'm going to play two positive sound bites back to back, and it's rare that I do. Both of them 
are things that I think should be lauded. One is, well, I got, I'll let you play them and I'll talk on the other side. Florida has led the way in preserving what the father of our country called the sacred fire of liberty. It is the fire that burned in Independence Hall when 56 men pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to establish a new nation conceived in liberty. It's the fire that burned at a cemetery in Gettysburg when the nation's first Republican president pledged to this nation a new birth of freedom. It's the fire that burned among the boys who stormed the beaches of Normandy to liberate a continent and to preserve freedom for the world. It's the fire that infused the young preacher's dream relayed at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial that the Declaration of Independence said what it meant and meant what it said. All men are created equal. It is the fire that led a resolute president to stand in Berlin and declare, tear down this wall, staring down the communists and winning the Cold War. It is our responsibility here in Florida to carry this torch. We do not run from this responsibility. We welcome it. Sorry about that. That was big sis. I had to answer the phone. But as you see, prayer on ESPN, unfreaking believable, and who I hope is the next president. I just like the guy. I don't like everything he does. But you know what? It'd be nice to have a professional person who's doing this every once in a while back at the woke. We need that. Our next soundbite before we get well, let's get into some of the little things. Um, talking about Kinziger, McCarthy's failure is what happens when you compromise with legislative terrorists. That's been a big thing. We're going to do a whole thing on the speaker in a second. Kathy Hochul, history getting sworn in as the first woman elected governor. Much love to our glass ceiling busting and her and Hillary. Go fuck yourself. Uh, In there, we asked um, the president if he's lying about his involvement in family business scheme. We played that. And the border, which he's going to the border. Wow, finally. New York Times announces David French is going to be their new conservative, but he's not a conservative. He's an anti-Trump person. And then Mitch McConnell, kind of why we're in the speaker problem, he brought Biden to an event, and they all celebrated the president's economic plan. Other anti-Trumpers, from the attacks on January 6th committee to blocking more IRS agents to weakening the Congressional Ethics Office, one might think House Republicans aren't too interested in affording the rule of law. And that's from Bill Crystal. He can go fuck himself. So let's do one more, and I think then we can get into stride with uh, our... No, let's do a couple more. These are all hits. Holiday Joe, I want you to think, how many days did President Trump golf? 
You knew that because the media was counting. Biden has spent 146 days in 2022 on vacation. As my wife said, that's basically six months. It's a half a year. He was on vacation. Mayor Lightfoot asked for $53 million because of the migrants. And now Colorado's governor is going to be sending migrants to New York also. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I, You know, I, I do got to capture this because this, this sums up the gamesmanship of Washington. And, you know, I... I I, I, we have, we have watched, um, the media laud Pelosi and say she's the greatest thing ever. Um, but this right here They're removing the metal detectors. I want us to go back to 2021. And the fact that some Wahoos did something that they knew they were going to do. And they ring the Capitol like it was the green zone. And they put up metal detectors. Here's my point. Do do you think conservatives could get away with that? Well, first of all, they wouldn't do those kind of things because they're not about gamesmanship. But do you think that would fly? I don't. I I I just don't think that's a, that's a thing that would happen. I just don't think you could get away with it. And, the, and I, I just don't understand how our media has become so part of the, the DNC that they'll let this, that kind of shit fly. Metal detectors. They got Democrats are carrying guns now because they don't feel secure and hiring security. It's not from conservatives, it's from their own constituents. So go fuck yourself. But here's Tucker, and I have gnashed teeth about this since Biden got in office and this is the first time I've seen a conservative on TV do it. We've told you several times about the energy crisis that is really moving Europe back several notches economically. It's becoming poor. It's the result mostly of the war in Ukraine, but not exclusively. Well, that's happening here too. In case you haven't noticed, in case you haven't checked recently, electricity prices in this country, in many places, are completely out of control. And that's not just your perception, it's real. Here are the numbers. From November 2021 to November 2022, the price of electricity has gone up more than 46% in the city of Boston, for example. In Hawaii, it's up more than 36%. Miami, 35% over a year. In one year. Baltimore, 24%. Now keep in mind, these are average prices, but they fluctuate depending on the weather. During severe weather, prices have gone up by more than 6,000% in some parts of the country. According to Bloomberg, for example, electricity prices in Houston, Texas, one of the biggest cities in the country, in a state that's totally energy independent, in Houston, prices went up 65-fold just a few days before Christmas. There was a winter storm. Now, why is this happening? Really simple. Renewable energy. And the people making billions off it who are donating to Democrats. 
So you wouldn't think the Biden administration would be interested in fixing it. Oh, no, they're not. They want to make it worse because their donors want to make it worse. Here's Kamala Harris. As the days go by, you will see it in a new coast-to-coast -coast network of electric vehicle charging stations or a new wind turbine or cutting-edge solar panel that will cut energy costs and protect our planet or a new water heater in your home that lowers both your electric bill and pollution. The bottom line is this. President Joe Biden and I are making this better, brighter future real. Now, what you shouldn't do is let a group of know-nothings sweep into power in a very suspect election and turn the country you grew up in into a third world hellhole. But that's actually where we're headed. And that's not an overstatement. Look at the numbers. If you're worried about electricity prices in the United States of America, which has the largest recoverable oil reserves in the world, it's not an accident. It's on purpose. Mark Morano is the publisher of Climate Depot, the author of Green Fraud, which it is. He joins us tonight. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. So a couple of questions. Um, why are there not front page stories everywhere about increases in electricity prices of 25, 35, 40, 50 percent in a year. Why is no one saying anything about this? Well, because this is all part of the agenda and the, the media is in on this agenda. These are the intended consequences of these policies. Now, the media will report on it. Associated Press had an article about the heating fuels being up more than 50 percent year over year last year. So they've actually covered it, but they don't cover it in a way that's the same meaning as, say, this was essentially allegedly caused by, say, the free market system was causing this shortage. Instead, they just gloss over these the pain that real Americans are feeling. And this is disproportionately impacting people on fixed income, lower income people. A higher percentage of their money goes to pay for this higher energy. And of course, you think the media would be all over that, but they're not because they're in on what Kamala Harris described. And it's essentially this green utopian vision that has not been achieved anywhere in the world. We saw Sri Lanka try it. We saw Europe trying it. And of course, they're doing their best now as coal use is now hitting a global high to reverse their trends for the last 15 years to their hellish version of the Green New Deal. But the U.S., we have it baked in our system, and we're heading down the same road Europe has done uh, for the last decade. Well, so that's kind of the point. It's utopianism without the utopia. We keep <laughs> hearing these claims that renewables are better than what we currently have. You follow this for a living. You write about it. You study it for a living. Can you think of any place on planet Earth where so-called renewables, so-called green energy, has made energy more reliable, and cheaper. There's no, that's a utopian. And that's what they do. They replace the, the existing reality that just worked. Remember, the United States has had electrical grids since uh, over 100 years, over a century. Yeah. We know how to provide power. There is no excuse to have energy shortages, blackouts, and high skyrocketing prices. The only excuse is politics and a net zero Green New Deal climate agenda has crept in to our policies. You have solar and wind being subsidized. There's no penalty for the unreliability, the lack of battery storage. The lack of energy they produce. They're treated equally, which then forces grids to have uh, incorporate with solar and wind mandates them into the grid. And then you end up with either shortages and, and consequential skyrocketing prices. We ought to start so naming right. energy policies after the politicians. Uh, energy blackouts is what we ought to do. Name the policies, uh, name the blackouts after politicians who push these policies.
Well, that's totally true. But they've silenced opposition with their signature moral aggression, where people are embarrassed of fossil fuels. What? You're embarrassed of civilization? It's, uh, it's infuriating. Yeah. Mark Brano, I appreciate it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Tucker. They have injured the middle class so bad, their own constituents who are poor, I, I don't understand why people voted for them. I, I just can't comprehend why they vote for them. Well, our main theme today is going to be the speaker in Twitter Files 95. And this is a actual journalist. Dems literally breaking out the popcorn. Here are the gentlemen and people that are having fun making an ass out of the Republican Party. Since you have presented no viable actual alternatives, more conservative leader and actual strategy, and neither have the people voting against McCarthy, your run directly into wall shouting strategy will be taken under consideration. Because all they've done, and I'll talk in a second about how fucked up McCarthy is that we talked about last podcast, is just embarrass the GOP. Another take. It's rather pathetic to watch Democrats and leftists gloating about the fact that the Republican Party seems to still allow for a tiny amount of dissent and debate while their own party is an absolute authoritarian Borg that demands lockstep allegiance from its members. Remember, boys and girls, if you're not pro-abortion till fucking college, they don't give you money in the Democratic Party. But our jerk off of the week the media is having so much fun with us. Miami politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. He, um, he knows of what he speaks uh, because there were five, six of us back in 1998 that told uh, Newt that we weren't going to support him. It's not like the Republican Party is coming off of uh, a, a strong win. It, it, they, they underperformed badly. Uh, they're, they're, they're on their back hills. They're viewed as radicals, uh, uh, insurrectionists, weirdos, and freaks. But surely this, uh, this job has been unmanageable for Republicans since people like me uh, we're in Washington for probably because of people like me in Washington. And now you have McCarthy trying to get this job. And and again, I mean, trying to get it at a, at a low point for Republicans where where every swing voter, you know, most swing voters think they're insurrectionists, weirdos and freaks. And these five, six, seven Republicans are doing their damnedest to prove that what they're saying about them is true. And when you have a party that's turned itself uh, over to a cult of personality, to bomb throwers, uh, to grifters, um, we shouldn't be surprised to see that we are going to have on display uh, this amazing clown car. And by the way, all the focus is on, of course, these, uh, these five holdouts here. But think about Kevin McCarthy, whose speakership now rests on the vote of people like um, George Santos. Without a speaker, after McCarthy failed to win enough support in an historic 
Three rounds of voting. It went on and on and on. This hasn't happened. And he couldn't like, get the vote. Since the Ice Age or since dinosaurs. It's been a long time since yeah. this has happened. Meanwhile, the Democrats because, were bragging about their unity. Because people have, like, usually you have these fights behind closed doors and you walk out and you make wow, a vote, but you really? Know, yeah. 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 You know, you're supposed to. Nancy Pelosi would yeah. never allow this never. to happen. Never. You just don't go out there and get humiliated three times in a row. I mean, what a contrast. Nancy Pelosi never went to the House floor. People would always say, well, what's going to happen? When they went to the House floor, you knew if Nancy put it on the House floor, it was going to pass. You just knew it because she did all the work before. We hear from a lot of people, Willie, that Kevin McCarthy had a month to lock this stuff up, and he didn't do it. Jeffrey succeeds Nancy Pelosi, and Ali Vitali reports tonight on her lasting impact on the women who have come to Washington. Ask these Democratic lawmakers about House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and it doesn't take long for the Pelosiisms to start flowing. Know your why, mm -hmm. and center that. She often says to some of us in private is, you know, no one's going to give you anything. She always encourages to be your own leader. Even if not every skill can be taught. I cannot handle that level of stilettos. And, uh, <laughs> the history-making first female Speaker of the House, famous for her toughness and deep understanding of her caucus. Even amid clashes and disagreements, Pelosi paving the way for the next generation of strong female leaders. Their ability to be female to be able to be empathetic and at the same time sort of show you how to throw a punch. When I came to Congress, there were 23 women, over 400 men and 23 women. Come on, you know, get out of here. So some of us just made a decision. We have to change this. And she did. A change that was clear the day she announced her departure from leadership. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus. There are now nearly five times as many women serving in the House as... Let's get to that epic battle now, starting off the new Congress, where top Republican Kevin McCarthy is still struggling to get enough votes to become Speaker. A chaotic kickoff for the GOP as they take back control of the House. Garrett Hake now with late details for us. How do you feel about the vote? It's not the kind of history Republicans were hoping to make. Tonight, for the first time in 100 years, failing to elect a Speaker of the House. A Speaker has not been elected. On Jeff ballot? A Speaker has not been elected. After ballot? A Speaker has not been elected. The chaos, the result of a bitter battle between Republicans. They've done kind of a lot in these last couple of years. Who says Washington's broken? This past Congress got a lot done. A lot of stuff that people said couldn't get done, they got it done. And at noon tomorrow, by the power vested in the United States Constitution, this Congress, this profoundly productive Congress, will poof into the history books. It will end at noon tomorrow. Whereupon it is not at all clear that it will be replaced by a new Congress. I know over the last few weeks you've probably seen uh, the headlines about Kevin McCarthy, the top Republican in the House. Um, heading into the midterm elections, the Republicans thought they'd get a you know, 40, 50, even 60 vote majority out of these midterm elections. Turns out they got a net gain of just nine seats. 
And that teeny tiny majority, that's led to all these headlines, which you have probably mostly ignored because they seem boring, um, about how it's not at all certain that Kevin McCarthy has enough votes to actually become the Speaker of the House. And the Republicans are in disarray just as they're supposed to be taking power, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I, if you have been paying attention to this stuff, credit to you. I also don't blame you if you haven't. It really does sound like the world's most boring, inside the beltway, tiny print, non-consequential stuff until you realize that this thing that poor little Kevin McCarthy is facing is actually something that never happens. It's like a once in a century deal. If only five Republican members of Congress decide that they're not gonna vote for him to be speaker, five, then he isn't gonna be elected speaker. He can only afford to lose four votes. If he loses five, he's not gonna be speaker. So far, there appear to be as many as a dozen Republicans who are planning to vote no on him, maybe more than that. And the problem with that isn't just that, oh, this is embarrassing for Kevin McCarthy and this is gonna be a time suck for Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans. Oh, this is bad optics. No, if he doesn't get elected speaker, if somebody doesn't get elected speaker, that means there's no Congress. A speaker of the House is the presiding officer of the House of Representatives. Until someone is elected speaker, there isn't a presiding officer, and that means nothing else can happen, including swearing in the new members of Congress. I mean, on the calendar, technically, all the new members of Congress are supposed to be. But just for, for, for the moment, let's just go through very quickly, and I'll give each of you guys a minute. Mm -hmm. Who have they got to as backup? Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, who got the second most mm -hmm. votes in the Republican conference for speaker today, even though he has said he doesn't want he doesn't it. Have 200. There's no 218 uh, votes for that guy. Nope. And the minute he became speaker, the next day, the George Clooney executive produced documentary about what he did when he was assistant coach in Ohio and all of yeah. those young men were assaulted is coming out. Become center so he, he doesn't want to be speaker for good reason. And that's why I think Scalise is probably the most likely candidate. David Duke can, without the baggage. Because Scalise now, understand too, the biggest issue with McCarthy is that this is a guy who stands for nothing. He's all things to all people all the time. With Scalise, the Republican conference believes is ideologically consistent. Mm -hmm. They know who he is. There is a consistency in the leadership there. He has already been elected to leadership multiple times. They feel more comfortable with him. The right. biggest issue with McCarthy is trust. He has to you know? go and raise money. Steve Scalise, if he's the if he's uh, the, the speaker, um, Mr. Michael. Longtime political reporter claims that when she first met Scalise, when David Duke was a state representative, Scalise, who's from Louisiana as well, told her, I was like David Duke without the baggage. Uh, roll call, the interviews. A lot of that going on, and we're going to go back to it, but we also want to take you uh, to Covington, Kentucky. Uh, there you see Joe Biden. Mitch McConnell is there as well. Uh, governors from different parties, Republican, Democrat. The juxtaposition, I think, uh, probably, Peter, couldn't be better for the Democrats, basically showing Americans this is how a functioning government works, right? Exactly. And that's certainly the point that President Biden would like to get across today. He, of course, for two years has positioned himself as the person, the, the leader who can cut through uh, the partisan, uh, you know, uh, gridlock at times and at times reach across the aisle and make some deals as he did with infrastructure. That's what they're there to celebrate today, the uh, rebuilding of this bridge that's been so widely discussed between uh, Ohio and Kentucky. Being there with Mitch McConnell, being there with Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, the Republican governor of Ohio is meant to say, as you, exactly as you said, this is how government works. And the, 
contrast uh, from the floor of the House right now. Very, very stark. Yeah, I, if I can, I want to play a little sound from Joe Biden earlier today when he was asked about this. Well, okay. Uh, do we have it? I don't think we... Okay, here it is. There appear to be 19 House Republicans who are no McCarthy. They do not want Kevin McCarthy. You need 15 of those 19. How are you going to get them? Well, first off, uh, the, the uh, second round, the first vote, you give people the opportunity to vote for who they want and get it out of their system. They're not voting for Kevin. And in the second round, uh, obviously, they've all unified behind Jim Jordan. And you heard Jim get up and say, I'm nominating Kevin McCarthy. So I don't know what the hell their game plan is at the end of the day. But remember, the people who are bringing you this, they for uh, two months now, we've been dealing with the fact that they put together a sheet of what they just call them demands, call them uh, requests, whatever you want. And most of those things were granted. And when the push came to shove this morning in conference, in exasperation, Kevin asked Scott Perry, what is it that you want beside that? And he couldn't answer. He said, well, it's on the paper. Well, all the things in the paper have been answered. So at this point, it's either personal against Kevin, or remember that this is the same brain trust that brought you uh, almost two years ago, January 6th, in the fake lectures electors and those type of things. Remember, Scott Perry and this whole group and his band of merry men are the same group who thought that was a good idea too. So I don't put a hell of a lot of stock into what they have to say anymore. I'm done playing games with them. Kevin McCarthy deserves to be the next speaker and we're going to continue to vote until he becomes a speaker. Well, that's an interesting point um, because I've heard critics say Kevin McCarthy has been empowering this fringe group that supported the fake electors, that supported the theory uh, that House Republicans should vote against counting the votes from Pennsylvania and from Arizona. And in fact, two thirds of the House Republicans voted that way two years ago. And I'm wondering if you think in retrospect, maybe Kevin McCarthy should have been more on the side of traditional Republicanism, traditional conservative governance, and not been so acquiescent to this wing. I'll start with you on this political issue. Well, first, uh, uh, I haven't asked the question. I don't need a question. I already have my strong feelings. This is not Groundhog Day at all. It's the opposite of Groundhog Day, because in the movie, he actually got better. Remember every day? Yeah, this is something. the this is the opposite. He's not. No one's learning anything. It's anti Groundhog Day. Poor Kevin McCarthy. He's lost more ballots than a Democratic poll worker. <laughs> so, sue me. Anyway, uh, I'm starting to change my mind on this. I want it to go on forever. Now, understand they they put up a black man. And this is what Cory Bush says, not a historic candidate for speaker. He is a prop despite being black. He supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. And that woman's a fucking racist. And I want us all to remember that as the media goes into their little games about the Republican drift, what the fuck have these people done? There's Bush, AOC, Tlaib. Our, our next sound bites are conservatives talking about it and Bobert um, being an asshat, which will have a divider to these people talking with AOC, the ones that don't want to elect McCarthy. Let me just turn and just say, like, 
I know the viewers out there, this probably seems like chaotic and insane, but A, this is democracy. I mean, we, we, we can't pretend that this is, I mean, I think Congressman Gallagher was right earlier today. He said this is messy and democracy is messy. It's a feature, not a bug. That's true. These people are exercising their, their right to do that. And a lot of them, I don't know all of them, but a lot of the 20 rebels are voting the way they're voting because they actually want substantive changes to the rules. Dangerous option. I think it's an option being discussed. Well, and, uh, you know, but I, I don't see that happening. That's being talked about. You just saw uh, yes. <laughs> the leader, speaker-to-be, Kevin McCarthy, behind me. Uh, <laughs> You know, Daniel joining us now. Uh, Rana, good to have you here. Thank you very much. Your reaction to no majority emerging in the first House for uh, the speaker vote for Kevin McCarthy. Well, I look at the contrast with the Democrats who very clearly are going to elect Hakeem Jeffries. And I think the number one thing I always hear on the road is why do Democrats always seem to, to stick together and Republicans don't? And the American people want us to take the reins of the House. We just retired Nancy Pelosi. It was done in large part because of Kevin McCarthy and his work. And I think any delay is a delay in getting the business and the work done of the American people. I don't see policy differences that are dividing these votes right now. Kevin wants to tackle the border. He wants to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents. So I think as the votes continue, he's going to continue to bring members his way, I hope. Uh, he is the one who retired Nancy Pelosi. He was the minority leader. He switched it so that we can have a Republican speaker. And you see broad, broad support for him. The vast majority of members support Kevin. Uh, Rana, you know, we, we see up there that 12 people have voted others. And if I could just bring up the graphic on the screen, we, we as of this morning, had 14 Republicans who were either firmly opposed to um, Kevin McCarthy as speaker or were certainly leaning in that direction. Can we bring that graphic up? Is that possible? Uh, so we can get a look at there's the 14 who were either skeptical of or outright opposed to Kevin McCarthy as, as speaker. Uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw was on Fox and Friends this morning, and he said that doing what they're doing plays right into the Democrats' hands. L listen to how he put it here. If I didn't know any better, it's like the Democrats paid these people off. Hey, let's pay them off. Let's make it look like the Republicans can't govern and don't deserve any gavels whatsoever. That's what it makes it look like. Again, their demands are foolish. Their demands are inside baseball procedural issues. So speak to that, if you would, Ron, as we go back to the vote count here with 127 for McCarthy, 120 for Jeffries, 12 uh, voting for Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs, uh, and, and, and other folks. The, the the opponents of McCarthy really can't even articulate what it is that they want here. And, and in doing this, what are they doing to the Republican Party? Well, I was just I'm in Michigan right now and I was just talking to somebody who said this makes the party look bad. We just elected Republicans to take over the House. And why can't you guys unify? And it's division for division's sake. I'm not seeing a policy separation. Kevin is certainly not a moderate. He is somebody who has tackled the border, who has tackled big issues. He also raised the money and recruited many of the candidates that were just elected, not just in 2022, but also in 2020. So I will say this. We have a big task ahead of us in 2024 to take back the White House. The Senate map gets infinitely better, and we have to keep the House. And every day that we are delaying the agenda that the American people elected Republicans to govern with is a day that we are not getting the work done of the American people. And I, it's 5, it's 10. The vast majority of the members support Kevin, these 10 who don't. I hope they come around because we have to unify. 
We have to unify. I think this is the biggest message coming out of this midterm. If you look at all the split tickets, if you look at states where Republicans refuse to vote for other Republicans, in a large part, that's why we didn't get the wins that we, we wanted in this election, because of Republican on Republican infighting. And it is carrying into this speaker election. And I think it's something that's disheartening and is not bringing people to our party. We need to show a vision of positivity and an agenda of getting things done for the... So I've said from the beginning that my hard line was the motion to vacate. Single member motion to vacate. You cannot demand more responsibility and less accountability. And Kevin McCarthy was taking the path of Nancy Pelosi and following her precedence uh, with the motion to vacate. We were just told when we left this door, we will give you single member motion to vacate. Just today. That was the starting point for negotiations. That was the starting point to everything that we are wanting to transform the way Washington, D.C. operates. If you go to the American people and ask them if Congress is doing a good job, if they like the way things are run in Washington, D.C., you're probably going to get a big hell no. We want to change the way things are done here. We didn't offer up a personal wish list. We were told to provide lists of what members need to be seated on what committees. And we did exactly that. And then there were amazing items that were listed as well for our border security, for term limits. Just bring the bill to the floor so we can have a vote on term limits. That's what the majority of Americans want to see in Congress. We, uh, we said that any amendment that reduces the national debt needs to be made in order. This is not a personal wish list. This is not something that is unreasonable. This is just for the American people. This is fair for the American people. And so now here we are being sworn at instead of being sworn in. We want to see change in Washington, D.C., and we want to see policies um, that are passed that actually help the American people. Look, Kevin McCarthy has been in leadership for 14 years. What does he have to show for that? We right. aren't just electing somebody who can fundraise and, and just rubber stamp him into office. That's not what I was elected to do. What you're seeing here is a constitutional republic at work. It, it may look messy, it may look chaotic, no, but this is no, us working me. and actually and, and using our votes. And I believe our founding fathers intended it to be this way. Okay, well, our founding fathers aren't here, so let's get real and let's get practical. You can say what you believe. I believe children though, are our so future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. That's a song. You are backing a guy with 20 votes. Is he getting to 218 tomorrow? People who are silently cheering him on will not help when they round everybody up and ask for a vote tomorrow. I do believe that we are seeing growing opposition to Kevin McCarthy. Um, they've heard the conversations that happen when our Republican conference is gathered. Um, they are very disappointed in some of the things that have been said by our current leadership. And um, they're waiting for the time to be right. And I believe you will see that increased um, opposition. And I'm here for it. As long as it takes, we are going to get this right. Um, look, we, we took the House and we are ready to lead effectively, but we have to have the right tools and the right leadership to do just that.
did not uh, it did not go unnoticed, by, shall we say, on the internet and elsewhere that you were on the floor having some conversations with Republicans, including Matt Gates and Paul Gosar. Can you enlighten us at all as to, as to what those conversations were like, and is there any hope that you guys work together to get Hakeem Jeffries elected as Speaker of the House? You know, I um. I think in chaos, anything is possible, uh, especially in this era. You know, uh, it is unlikely, but it is there is always a possibility. I do think that in terms of some of those conversations, I mean, listen, some of us in the House of Representatives uh, are independent in certain ways from our party. And I do believe that uh, in some of those conversations, um, there are things that are happening on the floor. These machinations are happening on the floor. And sometimes the leadership of your party, uh, in this case, the Republican Party, will be making claims uh, in order to try to twist arms and get people in line. And a lot of times, information and truth is currency. Um, so sometimes to be able to fact check some of the claims that McCarthy is making, uh, whether Democrats are going to defect or not, et cetera, is important in order to keep him honest and to keep people honest in general the problem with what we're going through right now is this is who the media is behind of course that the democrat keem jeffries becomes speaker of the fucking house and he's an election denier but they don't they don't think about that they're too stuck in this little game they're playing which i don't even know what the game is and while this is going on you have everybody talking about um QAnon, and they're still bringing that shit up. Of course, many practice yoga, la, 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 showing that it's all about these crazy motherfucking right-wingers. You have J6 releasing paperwork that shows Ray Epps said he did it, but he's not, he's not in jail. Thomas Massey, January 6th community abandoned all pretense illegitimately when they bent over backwards to exonerate Ray Epps, who persistently directed protesters going to the Capitol, told protesters expected he'd go to jail and texted, I also orchestrated it once his mission was complete. I don't think I have that one, do I? No, I don't. Um... Ironically, J6 committee didn't push back on Epps' narrative that Anifa did it, not him. Staff and members of the committee so thoroughly beclowned themselves that they sat on the transcribed interview for over a year and released it only the final weeks of existence. The full transcript of those who have seen it. You have this as a reporter talking about the ebb of the Supreme Court. Byron, New York, as it goes out of business, January 6th committee withhold transcripts of sensitive interviews plus records relating to the hundreds more and totaled were over a thousand interviews and most of them were exonerating Trump, but they never put it out. Simultaneously, we're getting back to the 2024 Dem led swing states are seizing voting laws again. Repeat of 2020. Tech groups are giving millions again. And way back here, out of order, George Soros has quietly dumped another $140 million into Dem causes so they can win elections. And worse, while they're finger-fucking the dog, here is the FBI talking about the pipe bomb that we never 
fucking have found out what happened. I mean, that seems kind of important. And worse, this came out, which implements, implement, implicates all sorts of Democrats. But we got these assholes being fucked hard. So here's the last conservative holdout. And then we're going to go into our misinformation. And I'm going to read this um, Twitter thread, which is pretty fucking damning shit for all mentioned. We thought we'd be able to announce a new Speaker of the House tonight. We thought we knew who it was going to be. But no, the race for speaker is still ongoing. Voting's been suspended for the day. It's going to resume again tomorrow. Now, the fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described, especially online, by many as embarrassing. And it is embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality and all the really big decisions, the meaningful ones, are made years in advance by donors. Oh, of course, everyone's on board. That's what they do. But if you prefer democracy to oligarchy, if you prefer real debates about issues that actually matter, it's pretty refreshing to see it. Yes, it's a little chaotic, but this is what it's supposed to be. Now, we're going to bring you a lot more detail on what's happening in just a minute and throughout the week. But first, a quick overview to frame the big points. So Kevin McCarthy of California was going to be speaker. He badly wants to be speaker. In fact, he wants that job more than anything else in his life. And he was going to get it. But then a group of 20 Republican members stopped him. Now, they stopped him because they decided that Kevin McCarthy is not conservative enough to represent a party that's just taken back the House from Nancy Pelosi. And they are definitely right about that. McCarthy is not especially conservative. He is, in fact, ideologically agnostic. He's flexible. His real constituency is the lobbying community in Washington. So if you've got sincere political beliefs, that is infuriating to watch. On the other hand, to be fair... This is politics, and McCarthy does have strengths. It's not easy being speaker when the House is this closely divided. And in some ways, Kevin McCarthy is perfectly suited for that. He is skilled in politics, not a small thing. And critically, McCarthy is willing to spend the next two years living in hotel rooms raising money for his party ahead of a historic presidential election. What other Republican in the House is willing to do that? Well, as of tonight, and we have checked, no one has stepped forward. So really, the pivotal question is, how badly does Kevin McCarthy want this job? 20 of his colleagues have just publicly disavowed him, loudly and again and again. So to win them back, McCarthy is going to have to give them something real, not more airy promises, which he specializes in. He's going to have to give them actual concessions. If Kevin McCarthy wants to be the speaker, he is going to have to do things he would never do otherwise. Like what? We can think of at least two things. First, release the January 6th files, not some of the January 6th files and video, all of it, and not to some phony committee that will hide them, that in fact is designed to hide them from the public, but put them online, release them to the public directly so that the rest of us can finally know what actually happened on January 6th, 2021. It's been two years. It's long overdue. It's our right as Americans to know. And McCarthy could tell us. Second, Kevin McCarthy could put Thomas Massey of Kentucky in charge of a new Frank Church committee designed to discover what the FBI and the intel agencies have been doing to control domestic politics in this country. They've been doing a lot. 
but no one in Washington wants to talk about it. This topic is effectively off limits and has been. In fact, no one's talked about it for almost 50 years. And so because no one has talked about it or stopped it, the rot has spread and democracy has withered. You can feel it. The FBI has now a bigger force in American elections than any single group of voters. So Twitter file 956, and let me zoom this up, which is getting buried under speaker games. All right, suspend 300 accounts, suspected Russian.org. Twitter wasn't worried. Its leaders were sure they didn't have a Russian problem. We did not see a big correlation. Facebook may need time, but we don't. Keep the focus on Facebook. Twitter was sure that they had no Russian problem. Twitter is not focused on requiring Russian policy, even though the FBI was sending it all the time. Um, we've seen these meager results. A furious Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, ranking Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, held an immediate press conference to announce Twitter report that, frankly, inadequate on every level. Irony, mused Crowell, the day after Warner Presser, after receiving an e-circular from Warner's re-election campaign asking for $5 or whatever, replied General Counsel Sean Edgett. Keep producing material. After meeting with congressional leaders, Kroll wrote, Warner has political incentive to keep this issue of top of the news, maintain pressure on us, and the rest of the industry to keep producing material for their Russia, Russia, Russia. Taking their cues from Hillary Clinton, Crowell adds Dems were taking cues from Hillary Clinton, who that week said it's time for Twitter to stop dragging its heels and live up to the fact that this platform is being used as a tool for cyber, cyber warfare. If I had a bell, I'd be ringing it. That's two Democrats. And growing exciting of the PR problems, Twitter formed a Russia task force. They started digging into everything. By October 13th, no evidence. First round, are you investigate 15 high-risk counts, three of which a connection with Russia, although two were RT. Built new version of model, the lower precision that was going after with bots, finished with investigating 2,500 full manual account reviews. We think this is exhaustive, 32 suspicious accounts, and only 17 of those are connected with Russia. Twitter search included only two significant accounts, one of which, Russia Today, was based on same data that later inspired panic headline, Russia influence reached 126 million through Facebook alone, and that was by Warner and Democrats. In the weeks after Warner's presser, a torrent of stories sourced to the Intel Committee poured in the news, specifically Politico. Twitter deleted data potentially crucial to Russian probes. Were Twitter a contractor for the SBS that could not have built a more effective disinformation platform, John Hopkins professor and Intel Committee Thomas Ridd told Politico. As Congress threatened costly legislation in uh, the 130 again, it's, hi guys, just pass along for awareness, the write-up here from the Washington Post. Facebook, Google, and Twitter face proposed Hill targeting. So now they're getting threatened. In Washington, weeks after the first briefing, Twitter leaders were told by Senate staff that Senator Warner feels like tech industry was in denial for months, added an Intel staffer, big interest in political article about deleted accounts. Twitter pledged to work on it. Knowing that our, that our ad policy had produced change or effect to anticipate congressional oversight, I wanted to share some relevant highlights of legislation Warner, Klobuchar, and McCain will be introducing, wrote policy director Carlos Mong. The committee appeared to have leaked even as Twitter prepared to change its ad policies to remove RT and Sputnik to placate Washington. Congress turned the heat up once more, and they deleted 2,700 accounts. 
BuzzFeed, working the University of Sheffield, claimed to find a new network on Twitter. It will only embolden them. Twitter internally did not want to endorse the BuzzFeed findings. Senate Intel Committee is asking possible to whip something together. Reporters know now this is a model that works. This cycle threatened the legislation, wedded to scare headlines, pushed by congressional intel sources, followed by Twitter caving into moderation. Um, we then get into the beans and bullets. They also received a stodgy variety of requests from officials asking for individuals they didn't like to be banned. Here, the Office for Democrat and House Intel Committee Chief Adam Schiff asked Twitter to ban a journalist, Paul Sperry. You know why? I think I have it right here. Around the same time Adam Schiff's office was lobbying Twitter to have me banned, Schiff's chief of staff, Patrick Boland, was making threats to my employer, employer RealClearInvestigation.com, about my stories, exposing Schiff's impeachment whistleblower and his ties to Schiff's staff. Because that broke much later that it was all a lie. The whistleblower was actually a friend or on his staff. And this is another one of those shift ones. And I don't know if I got the shift. Here is the shift. From Elon Musk calls himself a free speech and absolute to justify burning a blind eye to hatred and bigotry on Twitter. But when journalists report unfavorable news, they're banned without warning. And the whole world shows Adam Schiff calling for... Journalists to be banned. Schiff didn't do it right. He needed to ask the FBI to ban Sperry account, replies R. Um, Stephen Miller, Adam Schiff just using his 1A rights. Get Paul Sperry back ASAP. So here is, once again, the Democrats forcing Twitter to ban people because they just don't want bad news to get out. And there was no Republicans asking for people to be banned. It was all liberals. There's Warner. There's Klobuchar in there. I'm not going to read them all because it just gets more and more depressing that what we believed that what was happening was 100% happening. So here's a quick soundbite from Tucker on it. Um, Another one about how awesome... FTX was, and a lady on the World Council, this is what they want, folks. They're going to misinformation and make you and me eat bugs. Summer of 2016, the government transparency organization WikiLeaks released thousands of emails from the servers of the Democratic National Committee. Those documents showed conclusively that Hillary Clinton partisans had worked to rig the Democratic primary against her rival, Bernie Sanders. 
It was obvious from the start that that email dump had come from an internal source, probably from a DNC staffer who was offended by the corruption of the Clinton team. But of course, the Democratic Party couldn't admit that, too embarrassing, too revealing. So instead, in order to cover this wrongdoing, the Clinton campaign claimed that Russia did it. The Russians hacked the servers, remember that? Now, you may have believed it or not, but intel agencies in this country must have known at the time that it was not true. They would know. But they said nothing. And they said nothing because blaming Russia turned out to be a very useful political tool. In fact, before long, it became the default response to every perceived disaster in Washington. Hillary lost. Why Russia? Donald Trump can't be president. Why Russia? Hunter Biden's laptop is here. Russian? Audit aid to Ukraine? Can't. Russia. And so on and so on. So over time, probably inevitably, the inflated threat of Russia became a pretext for everything bad, including censorship in this country. It's Russian disinformation. Shut it down. Thanks to new reporting from Matt Taibbi, who has spent weeks sifting through previously secret Twitter files, we know the federal government's intelligence and law enforcement agencies enthusiastically joined the effort to censor the political speech of American citizens illegally. It was a sophisticated effort. At one point, for example, the State Department released a report falsely claiming that thousands of Twitter accounts were controlled by foreign governments. Russia! And then, unnamed sources in the intel world leaked scary headlines about Russian disinformation running rampant on Twitter. Twitter deleted data potentially crucial to the Russia probes, screamed Politico, ever obedient to the intel agencies. And then the Washington Post published a piece threatening to increase regulation of Twitter's advertising because, of course, Russia. So it was a manufactured panic about Russia. But on the basis of that manufactured panic, lawmakers in Washington demanded more censorship. The issue is not that the companies before us today are taking too many posts down. The issue is that they're leaving too many dangerous posts up. In fact, they're amplifying harmful content so that it spreads like wildfire and tortures our democracy. Oh, too much speaking. Your opinions are a threat to our, quote, democracy. That would be sitting United States Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts. But almost nobody said anything because Russia. And so it accelerated. Not long after that tape was shot, in November of 2020, Congressman Adam Schiff of California, who was then the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, demanded that Twitter censor any discussion about the House Intelligence Committee. Quote, suppress any and all search results about committee staff, a Schiff aide demanded of Twitter. Schiff was particularly furious that a journalist called Paul Sperry had reported on Schiff's connection to the CIA whistleblower behind Donald Trump's impeachment. So Schiff demanded that Twitter censor Sperry. Quote, suspend the many accounts, including Paul Sperry, commanded Schiff's office. This is illegal. It's openly unconstitutional. Government officials cannot suppress speech. That's the Bill of Rights. And even at Twitter, executives seem to understand that. No, this isn't feasible. We don't do this, replied one Twitter executive. But ultimately, however, they caved. In time, in fact, Paul Sperry was censored by Twitter, along with many thousands of others. Twitter had effectively become a government propaganda outlet. How that happened and the effect that it had on American electoral politics is one of the most important stories of our time. And as we said, we know about it because of Matt Taibbi, who has been at the center of it. He joins us tonight. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. So I, I would just offer thanks to our for audience... Me, um, your extensive reporting on this, which is on Twitter and on your Substack, 
But to summarize, having looked at these documents for weeks now, how deep was the penetration of Twitter by U.S. law enforcement and intel agencies? I think we can say pretty conclusively after looking at tens of thousands of emails over the course of these weeks that the government was in the censorship business in a huge way. Uh, that's, I think, provable now. Uh, and not just one agency, really every conceivable wing of the enforcement uh, agencies of the U.S. government were in some way or another sending moderation requests to Twitter. And in many cases, those requests were being fulfilled. And they were coming from everywhere, from every place, from the NSA to the HHS to FBI, DHS, uh, and even what they call other government agencies, which I think is code for the CIA. So we have yes, reports from all over, from states, from police departments, everywhere. So that's prima facie illegal. It's unconstitutional. Government cannot censor political speech. It could not be clearer. Our assumption is that this was made possible because of hysteria about Russian penetration of our politics. Is that, is that your read of it? Absolutely, yeah. I think the, the thread that I put out yesterday traces the history of what happened, uh, particularly in the fall of 2017. Twitter somewhat naively thought that they would not be sucked into the Russiagate phenomenon. They really thought this was going to be Facebook's problem alone. Uh, but when it started to become politically very difficult for them, and people like uh, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intel Committee, Mark Warner, the senator of Virginia, uh, put pressure on them. Uh, there was an email that talked about how he was pressuring them to, quote, keep producing material for them. Uh, ultimately, Twitter ended up caving, and by the end of the year, they had an internal guidance, which I think is very significant, where they said publicly, we will only remove content at our sole discretion. Privately, we will remove content uh, that any content that's identified by the United States intelligence community as a foreign state actor conducting cyber operations. So if the intel community says we take it down, uh, we're going to take it down. And, and of course, a lot of the people who were censored were not foreign state actors. In at least one case that you documented, this was a journalist. And I, and I have to ask, there are a lot of different nonprofit organizations that purport to defend free speech on behalf of journalists. I won't even bother to name them, but there are a lot of them. Have any have any of them weighed in on this and raised holy hell? No, and that's been a profound disappointment. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I gave to the ACLU for years. I'm one of those sort of died-in-the-world uh, liberals and grew up that way. I'm deeply disappointed. I think a lot of people uh, who are sort of politically on that side of the aisle um, are missing the boat on this. They don't understand the gravity of the situation. They're thinking about this in partisan terms. It's not a partisan story. This is a story about the architecture uh, of the intelligence community and law enforcement getting its hands on speech and on the ability for pe of people to communicate with one another through platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And they're doing this in a very profound way, much more serious than I thought it was uh, at the beginning of this story. And in relative terms, Twitter is a smaller player. I mean, you have Facebook and Google that, that dwarf it in size. I mean, uh, we've got to assume that those two companies are as penetrated as Twitter has been, don't we? Yes, I, and, and there's evidence for that. Uh, certainly, we've seen uh, that they had what they called weekly uh, or monthly industry meetings with the DHS and the FBI. 
uh, and those included a, a number of companies, including Facebook, in some cases Wikipedia, Pinterest. Uh, there were a whole series of companies that were included in, in these communications. Um, how deep the penetration goes in, in those other companies, I can't say, but I do know that they had very close communications. And in Twitter's case, the number of requests that, that came in was really overwhelming. Your previous guest, Michael Schellenberger, talked about how they were uh, paid $3 million by the FBI. They were underpaid. They were doing so much work for the government in terms of uh, reviewing these documents that uh, they, they should have been compensated a lot more for their work. How can it be a free society or a democracy if law enforcement and intel agencies are determining what we can say? Well, people are hiding behind the fig leaf of, well, they didn't formally ask, they didn't demand that you do it, but um, how much of an ask is it really? How voluntary is it really when the FBI or the NSA or the CIA or the DHS comes to your company and presents you with an Excel spreadsheet of thousands of names and says, we assess that these, uh, these accounts are linked to the Internet Research Agency and they're foreign threat actors. Um, I think these companies feel enormous pressure to do the moderation and the initial work that we've done proves that they've, they did so. Yeah. I, it, this is one, uh, there are many problems that beset American society. This is a simple one to fix. Just ban it. Government agencies are not allowed to censor speech in the United States. I, I think it's a pretty easy thing to remedy. And we wouldn't know about it were it not for your efforts. Thank you, Matt Taibbi. Sam Bankman-Fried is really becoming the industry's lifeline during a crisis lately. I'm fascinated, endlessly fascinated with Sam Bankman-Fried's role in all of this. You've been now described as the JP Morgan, if you will, of the crypto business. A lot of people called you um, the savior of crypto, the patron saint of crypto, the Michael Jordan of crypto, if you will. Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried, the J.P. Morgan of... Fried. SBF, JPM. Do you know SBF? I think it's cool that the guy has just initials, uh, SBF. Some on Twitter calling him the hero right now of the industry. There's comparisons to Warren Buffett back in the financial crisis. Or if you go way back, J.P. Morgan in the panic of 1907, bailing out the banks before the Fed was even created. Sam Bankman-Fried is trying to play the role of J.P. Morgan. Uh, the original JP Morgan. One key figure we've talked about has emerged to help stabilize the ecosystem. That is Sam Bankman-Fried. We talk about him a lot. Yeah. Sam Bankman-Fried. Fried. Is he the Jay Gould of our era or is he the JP Morgan of our era? I think it's yet to be determined. Yet to be determined. Is he, the, is he Vanderbilt? He could be. Is he Harriman? Possibly. Is he the Credit Mobiliere scandal? Is he Carnegie? The aforementioned... 29-year-old gazillionaire, FTX founder and CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried. I love you, Sam. I'm just jealous. Uh, <laughs> it's no, nothing, nothing against you. The CEO, though, lives a relatively understated life for a billionaire. He drives a Toyota Corolla to FTX's offices in the Bahamas. He lives with 10 roommates and a golden doodle named Gopher. Sometimes sleeps under a, uh, his desk on a beanbag chair as well. You aim toward a more sophisticated level of investor than some of the other platforms do. Fair point? Well, Sam, uh, thanks so much. It's such a fascinating conversation. That's Sam Bank. We cannot hide away from human population growth because, you know, it underlies so many of the other problems. All these things we talk about wouldn't be a problem if there, were, if there was the size of population that there was 500 years ago. I, I this misinformation thing really is getting on my nerves because we got like this and I, and I count all the 
L-G-B-T-E-I-E-I-O. Front pager to Christ, misinformation on novel with fourth grade sex scenes. That's how far the media will go to protect the LGBT world, that these books that are getting banned are just book banning, Puritan shit. But it's not. It's stuff that kids shouldn't be seeing. We've showed them on the show with dicks and fucking sucking dick and everything. We're having this. Now that the lift has been lifted off Twitter, our new analysis of myocarditis after vaccine combining 85-year-old women with 20-year-old men is bad medicine. But they're showing that it's everywhere. There's a thread that broke out on Twitter that does this now. A look back at the weird demonization of the unvaccinated during COVID through the fact that the COVID vaccine do not prevent transmission was clear from the onset. This myth has been a primary cause of venom launched at those who refuse COVID vaccines. Officials in many jurisdictions propose making the unvaccinated pay more for health care. We covered it. In Victoria, Australia, the lockdowns were longer than in perhaps any other city in the world. One politician proposed cutting the unvaccinated out of national health system. A particularly disturbing idea that began gaining serious traction among the elite commensurate who was to have hospitals triage emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last. Some even began to suggest that unvaccinated should be denied health care entirely. One vocal proponent of the idea of triaging emergency care to disfavor the unvaccinated was David Frum, an ex-conservative. Pierce Morgan, those who refuse to be vaccinated with no medical reason not so should be refused NAH care. But now he's a darling on Fox. Shockingly, this bizarre idea of triage and emergency care based on vaccination status still being proposed to this day. The demonization of vaccinated was far more limited to health care. The CDC paid screenwriters and comedians to promote COVID vaccine and even mock the unvaccinated. today feeling okay while this is new oh 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 got the vaccine and it's been two weeks there's life in the streets hot people at brunch and i've got a hunch mimosas are gonna be bottomless oh 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 turning off zoom after 15 long months stuck on mute no lockdowns anymore finally walk out the door the sunlight is a fantasy it still doesn't feel real to me no lockdowns anymore will they still take my temp at the door shout out to our favorite md anthony fauci Tattoos 
watch Bridgerton. No lockdowns anymore. Traffic is so much worse than before. What's such an uplift to me? What's an NFT? I have no idea. What? Your family. It's time to hug your family. Feeling so really. Oh, yeah, so really. No lockdowns with free. See, this is the shit that, that Obama did. And it's against the Hyde Amendment. You can't finance federally fucking abortion. But now we're pushing it from the top down through pills because it was for mechanical only. The front page Toronto Star even ran a quote from someone who apparently thought the correct approach to unvaccinated was let them die. I have no empathy left for the willingly unvaccinated. Let them die. Like so many of the responses to COVID, the illiberal fad was unscientific, untolitarian. And folks, we all know now that the entire thing was a lie. It was completely a lie because the vax didn't do anything. I'm living proof. I just waited three months for an appointment and I broke. I set up the podcast and I walked away. And they had nothing for me. They have no clue what I have. She says I'm the worst and the longest she's talked to. She's supposed to be an expert on COVID and she's running a COVID clinic for uh, Vanderbilt, but she had no idea what to do. Let's get back together in eight weeks after you get your gallbladder taken out. That was her her instructions. Because they don't know what I have. She goes, they have a bunch of people that have gotten an IBS type thing that I have, but they don't know what it is. But for the first time ever, 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 they acknowledged the vax. She nodded her head and said she had other people like me who all of a sudden had this problem after the vaccine, which that's the first time it's ever happened. Um, ah, ever 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 so that's good so i want to uh let me pause and uh i'll come back on in a second and remember while we're doing all this uh, strip bars are open gay nightclubs are open vilifying the unvaccinated became a kind of illiberal fad among the elite and McAvoy, the unvaccinated have become a lethal li- liability we cannot 
we can ill afford. And about our recidivism to the early 20th century, Australia introduced chilling concept of lockdown for the unvaccinated. There was also talk in some countries to put them on an island. Most countries, cities and states across the Western world introduced vaccine passes. Remember that? We're all going to have to have a pass. And remember, on top of this, there was the travel bans. And I talk about it all the time, the liberal elite saying that we uh, rural people were breaking shit and spreading COVID everywhere because we had to drive 20 miles to get groceries because we don't live in a city. We don't go to a, a bodega. The WHO published extensive documents on implementing a digital vaccine pass system. The most dystopian of these vaccine pass systems was Lithuania, where unvaccinated were banned from nearly everything. Not only did governments exert this pressure through policy, but in many cases, officials deliberately stoked the social stigmatization unvaccinated like President Biden did. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. A dark winter. Remember that? None of it was true. And who can forget Justin Trudeau? You deserve better. You deserve a government that's going to continue to say, get vaccinated. And you know what? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train besides vaccinated people and put them at risk. We need to be strong in the decisions we're taking going forward, and we need to put people first, which we have always done. And I'll be honest, you know, like I do, there's lots of people out there who don't agree with that. And the reality is, that's okay. We're in a democracy. People can make themselves heard. And that's part of why we need to have this moment for people to make that choice for the future. The counter to tyranny is democracy, is elections. And that's exactly what we're putting forward because we have put Canadians at the forefront of everything we've done. And we know that's what we're going to continue to do. So I need you, all of you, to keep stepping up. We need to keep working to protect and build a better future together. And that's why I need you to continue to step up. I need you to talk to your neighbors and talk to your friends. Talk to those folks who are still wondering whether they should get vaccinated and tell them, yes, they need to get vaccinated. Proving once again who the real fucking fascists are. It is just unfucking believable. Where the hell did that go? Yeah. There we go. I lost the thread. Oh, you're kidding kidding me. Where'd it go? Oh man, this is bad. Hold on a second. I pushed back button and I got bumped out of the thread. There we go. I'll go back to him himself. Hold on a second. 
Ah, you're killing me. Let me pause for a second. I'm going to play the next one. This is uh, while we're bitching about um, the speaker. Here's what the FDA just did, which is once again a violation of the Hyde Amendment. Welcome back. This morning, the FDA is announcing a big move on access to abortion. We're talking about the pill or the medication for it. This comes, of course, after the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade. What's changed is it pharmacies, like your average pharmacy, is now able to sell these abortion pills to people who have a prescription. CNN medical correspondent Dr. Tara Narulu joins us now. So you need a prescription. Correct. But this is different than the morning after pill, for example. Yeah, so this is basically meant to medically induce an abortion. And as you said, this is probably going to expand access to many, many women, making it much easier, if they want, to be able to get these pills by going to potentially their local pharmacy. And so historically, in order to get access, a woman had to go in person to a doctor's office, hospital or clinic and get that drug right there. Um, over the course of the pandemic, that was changed a little bit. So a woman could have a telehealth visit and have it sent to them by a mail order from a certified pharmacy. But now the FDA is saying you don't have to go in person, number one. And number two, you could potentially go to any of these brick and mortar pharmacies who fill out essentially paperwork to make themselves certified. So it remains to be seen how many of the big chains like CVS or Walgreens are going to, to do this. Um, will we see this in the beginning in just smaller pharmacies? But what we may see as well is more doctors being willing to prescribe these drugs because they don't need to stock the drugs in their office. So it's definitely going to become easier for a lot of women. It's interesting because I, over the holidays I saw an ad. Could it be for this? Because they just did really? this. I saw an ad, the woman walking out of the pharmacy saying, you know, my, you know, I was able to make my own choice and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if it was for the morning. Or advocating. You know, I, I once again forfeit our media is such garbage that this doesn't even get reported. The things they're doing that are illegal, it, it is like it's okay. Nobody has a problem with it. So in lieu of a fucking woke section, we're going to do a quick army with a few funnies up front. So let's do some uh, military corner.
good, good, good. So to start with some crazy, this is the paid person. She's an influencer for the Democrats, and she dogs people all the time, treats people like shit. She's a base garbage human. For the record, if you call me tubby, don't care. If you call me butterbutt, that thunder thighs, fatso, chubby bunny, or lard ass, I don't care what nasty ass sexist slurs you throw my way. I can promise you this. They aren't going to shut me up, so fire away, losers. And here's just some of her stuff, people dogging her back. When did you suddenly decide fat shaming was bad? Wait, what? The horse face, low life, fat, ugly guy? That's one of her tweets. Fat fuck? Another tweet. Are you kidding me? This bridge closing, beach sitting, lard ass wouldn't go first if you promised him a giant fucking plate of nachos at a baseball game and offered him a box of Krispy Kremes. She's talking about fucking... A Republican, a grown ass human being who listens to the jacked up, fat face, frothy mouth, incel inspired pud whacker frat boy is an idiot. So it, it just proves usually that they can't handle the truth. Here's one. Army admits warrant officers aren't real. That's actually from Buff Duffel Blake draw. I thought that was pretty funny, which, by the way, that was a Ranger sniper and then CQB. I just want to play some who today because I'm having a bad day. No action taken against Army officer who went at it and went crazy over uh, Tucker talking about females. And I only cover this because this dickhole right here is a liberal, as all, all our officers are now, which is just sad. And somehow, some way, it's okay to be political as an officer in this current date, post-Trump. Army general investigator for defending female troops online retires honorably. Elvis has left the building. And to reiterate, because uh, we, we played this on the show, and I should have just grabbed this picture to begin with. All Tucker was saying is the focus of the military is now on women and women uniforms while we have a major fight going on in the world. There was this dickhead. But I will bet you a million fucking dollars that if a conservative officer sounded off, um, yeah, they'd have fucking major problems. Um, hmm. Here's the next article. 
we don't hear about rockets. Oops, sorry. Rockets hit U.S. base in East Syria. How many times have our bases been hit? Anybody? Ten military movies to see in 2023. They got the pale blue eyes. Um, well, you're kidding me. It's making me log in. Hold on a second. I got an account. Military.com. Um, that doesn't look good. Plane. That's got the guy who's from um, Angel Has Fallen. Uh, 65. And it's got um, Luke Not Luke Skywalker, but the bad dude in the recent films. What the fuck's his name? Adam Driver. Marine Corps veteran plays an astronaut. Ship crashes on it. That one looks good. John Wick 4. Can't wait. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Can't wait. Oppenheimer. Who gives a fuck? Expendables 4. Are you kidding me? Dune Part 2. The Old Guard and Extraction 2. And if you haven't seen Extraction, we're long in time. Um, it's really good. Back to politics. Millie advises against court-martialing Flynn and retired generals critical of Trump. January 6th testimony reveals because he should be relieved for cause. He is a fucking prog. Best task and purpose stories. As the world moves on, veterans of Afghanistan withdraw. NCOs are U.S. military grade strength. Russia troops are proving the cell phone in war. Millions of troops cry out in horror as Dodge announces a charger. Inside the Air Force Wounded Warrior Project. project. Cotton and ambush doing everything they can. The GOAT. Um, I don't like tax and purpose. They're very, um, very liberal. These are the worst pieces of military gear ever issued. Knee pads. They're just ankle weights. Dick flaps or the cod piece. And the periscopes for fucking uh, mechanic, uh, mechanized vehicles. Can't see shit. Then we have this nugget, which really surprises me. How in the name of Zeus's ass, did we do this and nobody report on it? That's that's a lot of bodies. But just like Obama, this is what they do. This is what they do. So, anywho, we're starting a new segment now for a lighter fare, but it's going to be Walking with Salty. And I'm still producing a fucking fly a uh, bumper for it so we're going to do our this is america we're going to have Ducey, msnbc twice getting very upset that republicans can fucking um investigate biden they're really having a hard time with it the media and then once again uh trump's niece they bring her on I just know that if you did this the other way around, it would be a problem with bringing on Ken. I'm just saying, you couldn't bring on uh, Hunter Biden to talk bad about his dad. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. 
It's time for the last soundbite! Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America. Another topic with the new uh, Republican majority coming in. The House Oversight Committee is laying out their new investigations. And they claim to have evidence that Joe Biden lied to the American people about his involvement in his family's business schemes. Did he? So look, um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, House Republicans promised that fighting inflation during the midterms was going to be their number one priority. That's what they said was important to them and that's what they said that they wanted to do. Uh, but instead, uh, what they're doing is uh, wanting to do an investigation on the president and his family. That is their focus. They don't want to focus on the American people and their family. Uh, they want to focus on political division. They want to focus on uh, something that the American people do not want to see, as we saw uh, from the midterm elections. Look, I'm I'm not going to get into uh, you know get into the specifics of, of any of the oversight here. We have a White House counsel that's going to uh, my colleagues who are going to uh, deal with this. So I this is people owning a lot of guns and and the and the paraphernalia that goes along with it, because it it, it does attempt to normalize that sort of behavior. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks for having me, Ali. I, I think, uh, as with a lot of what we face in, in America sometimes, the tragedy isn't what's illegal. The tragedy here is what's mm -hmm. legal. Um, and as you note, uh, this guy didn't need six loaded guns, including an AR and a tactical shotgun, um, to go grocery shopping, right? But yet, uh, Georgia is one of the states that Chris mentioned that has recently rolled back concealed carry permitting. Um, I mean, I think Americans need to think about it this way. We have about 270 million registered vehicles in the United States, and, and you don't have to travel very many of our roads to know it seems pretty crowded. Um, we have a lot of traffic laws, right? We've got lines on the road. We've got bumpers. We've got uh, speed limits. We've got, we've got police that are patrolling everything. We've got 415 million guns in the United States, and we have the NRA and the NSSF and an irresponsible a slice of the American gun consumers, of which I'm not one of those. I, I am a proud gun owner. I hunted sure. yesterday with my boys. But I'm not okay living in a country with 415 million guns where we're reducing the amount of controls on ourselves. Right? That, that's just insane. We wouldn't we wouldn't roll back with the laws on all the on 270 million cars, right? You have more cars, you need more laws to to control them so that so that you know people can stay safe and that this is what we're facing right now. Chris, you've worked hard to to sort of clarify that messaging and generally it actually works. Most Americans um are in favor of of certain forms of regulation around guns, whether it's red flag laws or or, or background checks. And we've made incremental uh, progress, very incremental progress on a federal level. We've made better than incremental progress on a state level with respect to guns. I, I would be remiss if I had you on uh, from Florida and didn't ask you about your governor. Uh, he is now using the resources of the state when he could be fixing the insurance crisis in that state and the affordability crisis in that state. He's investigating a holiday a drag show in my former county in Broward County. That's what he's doing with his resources and threatening that people who take children to a drag show with them can have the kids, you know, have the intervention from Child Protective Services. What in the world is going on in your state? <laughs> that's that's a big question, Joy. They have a few hours. No, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. Our governor is more concerned with children going to drag shows than he is with children getting shot in their classrooms, than people getting shot on the street. And it shows the hypocrisy. I mean, look, 
due to his failures to provide for working class people, he's scapegoating vulnerable communities. You can't afford your rent, it's the problem of drag queens. You can't afford this, it's the problem of, of our LGBTQ plus community or immigrants or black people or poor people. And I think Floridians are gonna see right through it. And look, part of what I, my, I see my job as is obviously the work of legislating here in DC, the work of power building at home in Orlando, but also communicating every time this governor does something that's dangerous and we see him do this all the time he acts like a dictator and we have to be honest and blunt about it we have to tell people how that's going to harm folks and so he's using these resources that our state has um to criminalize drag shows uh what do we do about your uncle running again um <laughs> what advice do you have because uh because he, he could win again i said it the first time and everyone's like oh it's impossible no, it's there. I said this in 2015. I have to be honest, I, having known him my whole life and having been a lifelong New Yorker, I didn't think he could win because I didn't understand how people outside of New York perceived him. Right, because so, New Yorkers know. They know the question. Um, yes. <laughs> but I did say that if he won the, the nomination, the Republican nomination, just the fact that he had a 0.0001% chance of winning was way too dangerous and we see what happened uh so i'm with you we don't leave anything to chance um and i think we do everything in our power whatever that is <laughs> to uh one make democrats better um and you know make force democrats to stop telling people like black americans and transgender americans and other lgbt people and you know uh immigrants that we just need to defer your ability to participate fully in the system telling you if any of that stuff was done and it was in the inverse you'd have major problems so gonna start our new segment it's walk with salty i'm gonna be telling a story uh, my family members asked me to do this and i want to kind of do a narrative of silly things or memories i have uh this first one is less than i'd like it to be so tomorrow i'll be better prepared but it was a test run to see if it would work so here is basic training as told to in a 530, 29 degree walk where my stomach felt like shit and I wasn't as happy as I should be. Tomorrow will be Alaska and I promise it'll be a little peppy. <laughs> rock me, rock me, rock, rock steady. Rock me, rock me, rock me, rock steady. 540, 29 degrees. I'm overdressed so I don't catch a chill. And the walk begins. So at the behest of my sister, big sis in Colorado, wanted to try to do some kind of story, um, but I didn't know where to start, so I decided, make sure that's in place it is, uh, basic training, that would be a good start. It was the first time I left home. I remember flying a Southern Belle type woman next to me, being really kind, and me asking, or me being surprised that there were trees, because I didn't think there were trees in the South. And uh, her laughing at me 
and then sitting at the airport for an hour out in the hot sun with a different type of heat I literally was freaking drenched by the time they picked us up and then a long drive to Fort Benning in a bus and that's when I met Jeff Asola which is a guy I would cross paths with a bunch of times but he was 27 I was 17 and he was kind again told me it'd be alright and then I lost him after the haircuts which you invariably do the guy you're sitting next to you don't notice him anymore because they don't have any hair so <clears throat> What I remember of basic was Drill Sergeant Rose, me getting into a lot of fights. It was my first, you know, as most of us come down to, it's the racial crap starts. And we had a bunch of black guys, and this was 1985, but they were always just so, because I'm black. I mean, they were just, I, I never ran into African Americans that had chips on their shoulder and yet everybody there had a chip on their shoulder. So I remember getting a lot of fights. And then I remember the only time I got in trouble with the drill sergeants was learning how to do count off. And I fucked it up like three times. So little drill sergeant Rose hit me in the stomach so hard it hurt for a week and I never fucked up count off again I had that locked in but I couldn't shoot I uh I never shot before so I was doing what they told me but just wouldn't hit anything well I failed every period of marksmanship and there's like 20 periods and I went and reshot three times and failed. And go through basic training, go through AIT, and all that's holding me back is shooting. So they hand me somebody else's weapon and put me on a lane, and I shoot 36 out of 40. But of course, it only counted as marksman because I didn't do it the first time <clears throat> and you know I just thought I was a fuck up all that time but then I'm a drill sergeant 1997 and I remember the day we did zeroing I was doing KP and then when I came back they forgot that I had been doing KP and I never zeroed my weapon. So I went through all 20 periods with an unzeroed weapon and I, that's why I couldn't hit anything and I wasn't smart enough to learn how to do Kentucky windage or anything like that because I had never shot guns and never been trained on guns. So I was clueless. And that's why I failed. But key part of the story was I wasn't going to come home 
so I had to call my mom and I cried I was 18 and I wasn't coming home for Thanksgiving and I was going to be stuck there because I didn't qualify and a few days later the drill sergeant texts me up and I qualify so my parents don't even know and I let them not know so I flew home on my greens found out I was going to Alaska landed in Portland had old men salute me which I thought was really cool you could tell they were vets and I think I asked for Todd Lords to come get me and I think Todd Lords picked me up I stayed at his house and then he dropped me off at the end of the road and I walked down in my duffel bag and it was Thanksgiving Day 1986 or 85 1985 and Everybody dropped the pies. Grandma Coke dropped the pies. Grandma Tolson dropped the pies. My mom dropped the pies. We didn't have any pies. And it was all my fault. I know, silly, but I'm giving it a go. It'll be more for family. And uh, just do some funny memories from the Army or life in general. And started with basic because that was kind of the beginning of this 17-year-old dude back then who didn't know much about the world. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with family and friends. Go to soundcloud.com, Flyover Politic. Rumble at 482-467 or foppodcast at gmail.com to email me. We're a day early. We just keep being that way, but my wife had an appointment, so I decided to knock it out. So let's go with the 8th of January, your Lord 2023 for our next one. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. And as always, thank you very much for listening. Y'all take care.